0: Hello and welcome to the South Asian Occupational Therapy Experience podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about religion. I have two amazing guests with me, Mirna Youssef and Dinuli Senaratne.
1: Uh, Hi, so my name is Mirna Youssef. I'm a first year MOT student at Temple University in Philadelphia. Um, I'm a first generation Bengali American. Uh, and a practicing Muslim raised in a Muslim household. I was born and raised in Philadelphia and my family immigrated from Bangladesh.
2: My name is Dinu Ratney and I, um, I'm a newly qualified um, occupational therapist. I work at the Royal Free Hospital in London. Um, I am based in the UK. I've lived in the UK for 20 years and I was born and bred in France. Um, where I lived there for 11 years, so I'm French national. Um, I'm Christian, um, I was um, brought up as a Catholic, um, and um, I also follow uh, Buddhism. Um, I'm ethnically Sri Lankan, so my parents are Singhalese. and yeah.
0: I'm Sheila Ivlev. Um, I am a Bengali American, so I'm a first-generation American. I have a private practice in San Francisco, and I was raised practicing Hinduism um, and Buddhism, and um, now I consider myself agnostic, though I do have cultural practices um, with both of those religions. So I'm going to give just a little bit of uh, background on religions in South Asia, Hinduism being about 64% of the population, Islam, 29%, um, Sikhism, Buddhism, and Christianity are only about 2%, but that varies by country as well. So the countries um, that have the most practicing Buddhist people are Sri Lanka and Bhutan. Um, Islam in Afghanistan, it's about 99% of the population. Bangladesh, Maldives, 100% of the population, and Pakistan. Um, And Hinduism is a majority of India and Nepal. So I think the best place to start us off is by talking about what the difference between religion and culture is. I know that we talk a lot about culture and occupational therapy, but we don't really specifically talk about religion.
1: Yeah, um, so for me personally, I hold religion in a higher regard than culture. Um, For me, religion has specific teachings, rules, guidance in how we live our day-to-day life. There are religious texts to refer to when learning about different practices and the reasoning behind them. Um, To me, culture is something that is more uh, society creates and society develops these values based on their personal beliefs, attitudes, values, which is then collectively um, becomes common practice. Um, Culture can be changed and altered in some ways, but religion to me is something that is like set and the words really can't be changed, especially when they're coming from text, but they can be misinterpreted. For me,
2: um, I would say um, I have two different kind of uh, views um, uh, because, as I mentioned, I've, I kind of follow Buddhism through my um, Sri Lankan heritage and I'm also a Christian. So I would say, I guess, in terms of like defining culture and religion, I would say um, culture for me is a, kind of a body of knowledge that's um, uh, acquired by um, people through years of being together in one um, society and community, um, while religion is um, the belief system um, directed uh, towards more kind of supreme um, deity and gods. And um, so, um, and yet, this may or may not be accepted by um, each person in a culture. Um, and I would say, in terms of, as you mentioned, um, shri Buddhism is um, is it's, uh, really pr- prevalent in Sri Lanka. Um, uh, the majority of people in Sri Lanka are Buddhists. And so um, in terms of um, Sri Lankan culture, it's, um, it's long, it, there's been a, a huge influence of Buddhism passed on from India. Um, but we also have um, kind of um, the, colonial o- occupation, uh, which has left a mark in Sri Lanka's identity from uh, being um, colonised by the Portuguese before and Dutch and British elements. Um, so which have kind of like um, have intermingled with various um, traditional facets of Sri Lankan culture. Um, but also we have um, Indonesian cultures that's influenced certain aspects of Sri Lankan culture Um, but culturally Sri Lankas um, possess strong links to both um, India and Southeast Asia. Um, And I think we have like a really strong a lot of like rich artistic traditions in, in Sri Lanka that encompasses, uh, for example, music, dance, visual arts, and um, Sri Lanka is really known for cricket, as you might know, like um, the cuisine and kind of holistic medicine, medicine practice. We're known for our tea, and cinnamon, gemstones, like so the tourism industry. So I think, yeah, um, I would say kind of culture is quite wide. Um, it, it kind of um, encompasses a lot of different aspects, um, but I, I would definitely say that um, I I kind of I, I follow a lot of traditional traditions from Sri Lankan culture, um, and I guess um, that involves um, Buddhism, which I see as a way of life, um, and some people might see it as a religion, but um, it's integrated within. Um, my culture, because I go, for example, to the temple um, to, for, for, as a community with other Sri Lankans, with my family, um, and we might do some meditations there, arms giving, and so on. Um, and I'm very involved in like um, Kandyan dancing as well, which, um, which um, has a lot of um, roots in Buddhism as well, and, you know, spirituality and everything. So, yeah, and then in terms of religion, um, obviously Christianity for me that I kind of I kind of see um, Christianity more as a religion for me rather than, yeah, um, uh, culture, I would say. But so, yeah, it's I guess I've got a kind of multifaceted view of culture and religion.
0: Yeah, both of you gave um, beautiful examples and explanations and, you know, I'd say from my perspective, what I'm really able to see is that over time, religion really influences culture, right? And uh, Sri Lanka is a country where you can really see those influences over time with things like coloniality um, and and just um, the proximity of, of other countries and their influences. So then that brings us to the difference between spirituality and religion
2: both um it's it's funny because both spirituality and religion they're often used interchangeably um despite having quite different contexts so um i would say spirituality um uh is more of a human quality or state um i would say um specifically the state of being related to a spirit so spirit itself as an entity of force or an energy um it can be incorporated into our lives to a greater or lesser extent, um, depending on the extent to which we're able to experience it. Um, and um, so, I guess in terms of the idea of a spirituality, um, it's um, it can be central to a person's being um, and expressed through engagement in occupation, connection between um, occupation and spirituality, and. Uh, And um, occupations, as we know, they're activities that um, individuals engage in, which are meaningful and purposeful to those participating in them. Um, So spiritual occupations are those occupations that are core to to one's um, sense of self. Um, And so, yeah, if if spirituality then is, if it's a state of being, um, religion then is a human institution, I think, maybe to... Um, celebrate or honor what's perceived as um, the divine. Um, so, in terms of religion, I think um, um, it really has a role um, on making um, on making meaning of um, illnesses in someone's life. Um, so, um, in terms of what we believe in and our systems of practice and um, and uh, the the ways in which we participate in in our religion and respond to the world, it it kind of um, shapes and forms um, um, different aspects in the way in which um, illnesses are perceived um, and responded to by individuals and communities. So I think religion is a really powerful force for shaping a person's understanding of their um, condition. So yeah, I think it's really important um, in terms of for OTs to understand kind of the differences between spirituality and religion influence, not only because um, of how our clients experience um, their condition, but also because how they respond to the challenges that those illnesses present in their um, lives and how they engage in um, therapeutic interventions.
1: I didn't really give a really great explanation, Um, but I I think that spirituality has similar attributes to religion um, in the sense that there is a belief or feeling that is beyond what we can see or experience as humans. Um, There's a belief in something divine, making connections with something that's higher higher than us or beyond us as humans. Um, And spirituality, I think, can be more individualized experience. Some people are more or less, and same thing with religion. Some people are more or less religious. Um, religion, I think, is more structured. Um, you know, there are some rules, there are some teachings, there's some guidance, there's history. But spirituality is like kind of left up in um, people's own interpretation. Um, there, there isn't anything like um, specific like this is what spirituality is, but religion, you know, Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, like there's certain practices that are structured there, there that people choose or don't choose to um, practice.
0: You know, I'll add on for myself, for my personal experience, um, similar to what you mentioned, Mirna, there with religion and spirituality, there is a spectrum depending on the individual's beliefs. Um, and based on my, my upbringing and my, present beliefs, I, I feel that I'm more spiritual than religious. Um, So I'd love hearing both of your explanations. And I think there's so much more to it, Um, but we are gonna try to stick to religion um, for this episode. So I wanted to ask um, each of you to talk a little bit about the significance of religion in your own life. I grew up in a Muslim household. So I, you know, from early
1: on age, I would go to weekend school to learn how to read the Quran, how to pray, learn the basic teachings about Islam. But oftentimes it was very hard to see the line between. Between culture and religion because they were so mixed Um, and I also think that um, because we have uh, I have family that has immigrated from you know um, majority country that actually practices and from my own experience I know a lot of the teachings are kind of passed by word of mouth people aren't really able to do their own research and their own kind of exploration we're just kind of uh, follow what we're told and I didn't really start doing my own research on Islam and start seeking my own relationship with God or as in Arabic is Allah, until high school. So I I started being around more peers who are practicing Muslims. And I also started learning from them as well because they weren't South. Some of them weren't South. They just came from Arab cultures or African cultures. And I just kind of was seeing how they were practicing Islam from their perspective as well. And as I was doing my research, I decided to start wearing the hijab uh, as a result. Um, and I noticed that I did get some backlash from relatives and from and noticed changes in behaviors from peers as well. Because culturally, you know, there's a lot of cultures and in South Asian culture, many people cover their heads with a scarf. That's a cultural practice. But in my experience, I noticed that if someone does it for religious reasons, there tends to be a lot of judgment from my experience, because there's a higher expectation from you as a person to all of a sudden be perfect. And then you become that representative of the religion in the sense like um, it's difficult to describe uh, because the hijab is seen in in a higher regard than if someone were to just cover their head over there uh, with a scarf just for cultural reasons or for modesty purposes. Um, And I mentioned like uh, many Bengali people that I know that they kind of followed what they were told, like I was, and they didn't get to really learn the meanings in the Quran um, and the Quran is written in Arabic. And I know that there's a disconnect for many South Asian um, people who practice Islam because we're just expected to kind of, this is, these are the practices, follow this. And we're not really given the opportunity opportunity to explore their religion and form our own understanding. Um, To me, practicing Islam personally is very important in my day-to-day life. Uh, I pray every day and for me, if I miss prayers, and I know that I have to make up a prayer. I can kind of get restless because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I need to, I need to do this because this is a mandatory prayer for me. Um, and even like how I dress, I try to dress modestly. And when I go outside, before I go outside, I wear my hijab every time. Or if there's people in my household that's not my immediate family, I again, I have the way I dress, I have to dress modestly and I wear my hijab. Um, I know I'm a student right now, so I hope that like understanding not just my religion, but other religions as well would help me in future working um, as an OT. Um, Like you mentioned in the OTPF spirituality and religion is an IADL. Um, So it is in our line of work to address it. And um, for everybody, it's different. You know, some people pick and choose certain aspects that they practice. Um, For example, in Islam, like eating halal, which is like eating uh, meat that is permissible, that is sacrificed or, or um, slaughtered in a specific way is really, really important for certain people. But um, in my upbringing, that has been mentioned, but because we live in the West and finding halal food is so difficult that like, sometimes people don't really um, think about that. There are some people who are like, no, I will only eat food that is halal. And then there are some people who will eat like I, pork is not permissible in Islam. So eating like chicken, that's not halal. People do it. I've done it. Um, but that's just living in in the West. It's very difficult for some people. And then for some people no, they strictly abide by that. So there's a lot growing up trying to learn english trying to learn bangla trying to learn arabic to understand religion there's just so much that's happening that oftentimes culture and religion
2: is really really hard to see the fine line between the two it encompasses every area of my life um so i was brought up um as a catholic um my mom is very religious so uh my sisters and myself we went through the whole catholic process since we were born so from baptism to sunday school to communion confirmation um and i'm now you Christ minister in my church. So what that means is that I serve um, the wine and uh, which is um, supposed to symbolise the, um, the the blood of Christ and the host um, communion bread um, which is um, uh, symbolises the body of Christ in church. Um, so I do that and I provide it to um, uh, people in care homes who cannot um, attend uh, who, can, who can't physically attend church. Um, so, and as I mentioned in terms of um, Buddhism, um, I would also call myself um, a Buddhist because of my Sri Lankan heritage, um, so um, I, I, I meditate um, regularly, um, so like in the, in the morning when I wake up, Um, and then just before I go to bed and that kind of like helps me to like remain present in the moment so I wouldn't um unless I go to the temple um and participate in the chanting I I wouldn't do the the chanting regularly um but um I definitely practice mindfulness meditation and prayer um in terms of Christianity um so I regularly pray but I think with prayer I I also, I think people just think that maybe, especially in Catholic uh, religion, uh, because it's very um, ritualistic in terms of um, when you go to church, you have to do certain rituals, um, like kneeling. um, But um, I guess, um, as Myrna um, talked about developing into her um, uh, religion, I also, as I got um, older, I developed into... Um, my own understanding of my religion and I delved more into Christianity as I got older and in fact I got baptised last year um, as an adult because I really wanted because I after delving into Christianity uh, myself and finding out more about the religion I really wanted to kind of um, um, say right now I want to kind of, I, I want to decide as an adult that I want to be baptized um, and have that relationship with God. So, um, and I think that's more meaningful when you do it as an adult because you understand it rather than when you're a baby and somebody else or your parent does it for you. Um, so I think, you know, I had that choice and, you know, it was like, you know, I give myself to Christ. And um, so that was really, um, that, was, that was amazing that, um, to do that for myself um, as an adult um so it was a yeah great experience um and i think in terms of occupation, yeah um um as christians we fast so at the moment we're in the period of lent just before easter um and i um i guess in terms of um fasting um uh you know this uh, periods especially on like so i usually tend to uh, fast on wednesdays and fridays um and so just kind of um, have water for most of the day and then just break the fast in the evening with something light. But um, during, in 2017, I actually, um, so most of the time I just tried to give up something during the Lens period. And in 2017, I decided, I've been vegetarian all my life, but I decided that I wanted to um, try out veganism. Um, so in 2017, and do that for for God, and then and I tried it for forty days because that's the period of um, Lent, and uh, and it was a revelation to me because I just felt that you know just felt like better through this plant based journey, and actually that kind of impacted my occupation of eating because like I would started exploring between since two thousand seventeen, um, you know, going on this plant based vegan journey and. And that's had a massive impact on my life um, in terms of, um, you know, my, my nutrition. Um, and um, so, yeah, I guess, um, you know, prayer, fasting, um, reading the Bible, um, going to church, all these different occupations, meditating, um, listening to worship songs. So, like, that's like, for me, that's like, you know, it's really uplifting. Um, I just like listen to it really helps my mental health and well-being kind of like listening to that, to worship songs, um, you know, on my commutes, I'll listen to, I'll listen to a Bible podcast or, um, Christian, you know, faith-based podcast or, so yeah, it's, um, you know, being able to use my therapeutic use of self, um, through of my faith with, um, my patients, it's been it's been really rewarding, um, not just for me, but obviously you know, it's it's made a massive impact for um, for clients. So yeah,
0: thank you, Danuli. It's um it's beautiful to hear about um, using your autonomy and choice to, um, really involve yourself in your religion and make that connection even stronger. Um, Absolutely. and yeah. speaking for myself, um, you know, I, I, mentioned this earlier, I don't consider myself very religious. Um, and so I'm more connected to spirituality and culture based on my religious upbringing. And, um, similar to what Mirna said, I'm, I'm in San Francisco and my parents have been here for over 60 years. So, um, growing up i was in a community where i was the only one that looked like me um i was the the only one who um you know practiced hinduism and other than my relatives and communities that my my parents kind of pieced together but those weren't people that i were was able to see on a regular basis um and so i found um my mom and i separately um found buddhism um on our own um as i was exploring religion and learning about it because It's so different um, when you're not in, um, you know, your homeland, you're not where um, people look like you and people are practicing um, those those religious beliefs and, you know, really kind of maintaining like what the scripture says, right, Uh, maintaining those practices. So I think that from the beginning, my my family made their own interpretations, just like Mirna said. So we have rules um, in our religion where you don't eat beef. I eat beef. My dad eats beef, but my mom does not eat beef. Um, We have um, people in our family that are really devout and they don't eat um, meat at all. Um, But, you know, it's again a personal choice. So for myself, I definitely see the influences in my own life as being more spiritual and cultural with the religious backing, but it's not something that I strictly adhere to. What are some areas of occupation um, that might be different for somebody um who is muslim
1: yeah so for practicing muslims i would some areas of occupation i would consider prayer dressing grooming bathing toileting, functional mo- mobility, and even social participation. Um, the obligor- obligatory prayers are five times a day. So before Muslims pray, they perform ablution, which is called udu. And this is the process of washing the hands, arms, face, feet, rinsing the nose and mouth. And then dressing would come in this way in clothes that are modest, making sure that the person themselves is clean and a state of purity which means no urine feces blood dirt that would be present on them or their clothes Um, and then that actual performing the prayer has a lot of movement so they're standing there's bending forward kneeling down bowing the head turning the head lifting the hands and then sitting also um, with their knees bent for a little bit of period of time Um, and then the dressing considerations again women have must have hijab on when they're praying um, be covered in a modest way men must be wearing pants that at least cover their knees Um, so those are really important considerations when considering the occupation of prayer which also kind of includes dressing and grooming at the same time but because of hygiene and then toileting is also really important because other other than just Um, religion in Islam, I I would like to say that in South Asian cultures, you use uh, water to wash yourselves after using um, the bathroom. So there's something to hold the water in, in the bathroom. So, and then in Islam, you use your left hand to wash Cause the left hand is usually um, used for things that are kind of like considered more like impure or dirty or unclean. And the right hand is used for eating more, more, more clean. You're eating, Even drinking. Hinduism too. Yeah. Uh, if you're giving somebody money, you do it with the right hand. If you're handing something, you would do it with the right hand. Like the, the, the hands also kind of like use the use of hands is also um, different. Social participation would be like going to the mosque, attending large uh, prayers, um, uh, even like pray- people, sometimes families pray together at home, uh, attending um, Friday prayers, similar to in Christianity's like Sunday prayer. So um, every week and functional mobility, like I said, that is really important, especially with the prayer aspect, because you're moving so much and you're doing a lot. And you could probably also incorporate like other things in, in that, because those movements you're already kind of considering for someone who has to do them for their daily prayer but even for like ADLs like brushing your teeth you're going to need to you know use your hands and move and use water and rinse and soap like all these things the cleanliness part the hygiene part also come kind of connect together um, at the same time and some things to consider is like for some people touching someone from the opposite gender is not permissible so uh a woman touching a man is not permissible but you know as in here in the u.s occupational therapists are mainly uh female i I think the the recent data is like i think 90 percent of occupational therapists are female so considerations for like males um how do you go about explaining that like what uh how you as ot would work uh to help them and uh women like if they're veiled how do you do things like if they're wearing a hospital gown or something like things to consider like you know they want to dress modestly and cover their hair so those are kind of some things to consider when working with um, people who do practice Islam
2: I have to say is um, listening to Myrna is not as extensive um, in Christianity and Buddhism I would say I would I, I would say what I can relate to from what you've said Myrna, is um the um, the functional mobility um, so in Catholic um, religion um, certainly it's' it, uh, in churches there's a lot of kneeling um and then they have the rosaries as well so kind of like you know using your um you know your fine motor skills with your um fingers um to do the rosary say the rosary prayer and beads and you have you have beads as well in islam don't you
1: yes yeah. there's the tuspe yeah. so they do the same kind of
2: thing kind of repeating and reciting yeah yeah um so you know so i guess you know put, putting your hands together uh been able to do that the
0: the beads are used as well in Buddhism and you know um I would say one of the 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 biggest things in Buddhism is really the building the stamina to be able to sit um, for those that that chant um you know I can I can say this um from an example with my mom um it was mostly speech therapy that she was working with but um my mom had a had a stroke last year um and um you know, her ability to chant is very important to her, right? She has, um, goals, um, that she wants to reach and it gives her peace of mind and it's important to her. So my mom actually found an app that does the chanting. And so for a long time, she was just listening and now she's able to participate with it. And so like finding ways to make accommodations, I think are really important. Um, in Hinduism, um, we typically shower, um, before we pray as well it's really important to to be clean um going into temples you clean your feet um, before um, before you go in and yeah. so um you know some of the considerations i think that are really important is um there are these little things that people don't understand with hinduism is that like we don't use our we don't wear shoes <laughs> it's disrespectful to wear shoes inside the house mm-hmm. shoes are yeah. dirty feet are dirty that left hand is dirty yeah. so just like mirna said handing things with the left hand putting your feet, on something or touching something with your feet um, is just something that we don't do um, in Hinduism. Um, we see God in everything and everyone, and so um, things like paper, books, um, you know, pretty much anything that isn't the floor um, is um, is divine. Um, is a is a part of God, and so we want to be respectful, and we don't touch it with with our feet. Um, Similar to Mirna that there are all these positions, right? We're kneeling, sitting, bowing. Yeah. Um, uh, Hindus do something called pranam, you know, um, that's, that's a, a greeting. And so being able to... Um, access those movements, and if you're not able to, yeah. how can you make accommodations um, for them? And I think similar to all of our religions and cultures, um, social participation is huge. So these re- these religious functions bring everybody together, um, mm. and so you know in COVID times trying to help people figure out how can you be able to do that. Um, you know, we um we have a, a, a local priest and you know he hosts functions over Zoom um, mm, so that people absolutely. can can access their community, pray together, um, mm. and be able to manage um so social distancing. Um and I think again, what um uh, all of the religions have in common are um these Considerations for food, um, not just what you eat, but also food preparation. So, for uh, Mirna mentioned halal, um, and um, with with Hinduism, we have if you're vegetarian for religious region reasons, you also aren't eating egg um, or onion or garlic. So, what? You know, depending on where you are, if you're in a Western nation, thinking about um, vegetarianism is different. Um, you know, our our diets have um, kind of specific rules, um, and again, it's it's by choice. It's how you adhere to um, your religious scriptures. Um, there are some things um, that that come to mind with with my own family, my when my grandmother became a widow, she cooked in her own kitchen because she was strict vegetarian. So she didn't want any of that stuff touching her food or in her kitchen. So she had her very own kitchen that she would cook in. Her attire changed. Um, In Hindu culture, a lot of widows wear white. So you change how you dress depending on uh, a life situation or circumstance um, in, in very strict areas. Um, or very strict beliefs, Um, you know, uh, if a woman is menstruating, she's not able to pray, she's not able to um, go to religious facilities, um, because of, you know, because of beliefs. And um, in in the same respect, there are specific roles and rituals um, that really are based on gender. Um, And so um, in Hinduism, it's only men that can be priests. So you mentioned like menstruation, like
1: um, in Islam, like when a woman is, woman is um, menstruating, she doesn't pray. She's not obligated to pray um, until her menstruation mm-hmm. is done. And then once she um, ends her cycle of menstruating, uh, you kind of you shower before you're able to go back to praying again and then holding the Quran. Um, also, you don't do that because you're menstruating. Um, menstruation is kind of more seen. Um, you're kind of getting like a break from what your religious obligations are so you're not really held to those obligatory things that you were supposed to do like praying and 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 reading quran like those are not obligatory for you because that's like a rest period like a break period for you and um same thing again like entering mosques you have to take off your shoes mm. and like the newly mentioned like the older populations like reciting things verbally um memory attention like all yeah. those things are so important when you're even when you're doing prayer like remembering that like this is what i need to say next mm. and this is the movement i have to do next or sometimes even me like when, when i'm praying i'll forget like halfway like oh my gosh did i do this one time or I do it do it two times because there are like certain motions that you have to repeat once or twice and yeah. even just m- myself, like I forget, and I, I can imagine like full order populations who have some deterior- deteriorating health, um, that how hard memory, um, must be for them to mm-hmm. remember things and verbally say things. Cause, uh, a lot of, um, Uh, practices in islam is kind of just like memorization memorizing verses from the quran where memorizing um things words or phrases that you need to say when you're um praying or doing anything even like before you before you eat you might say something like you know people say grace and and Mm. we kind of do something similar as well after you're done eating before you're eating if you sneeze you say bless you in christianity sometimes and we say alhamdulillah like those are all just like things that you just kind of it's, it's all memory memory based um, and my grandma, I know she always complains about how she's like losing her memory. Like when she's praying, she gets really upset because she's like, oh, my God, I'm like forgetting halfway like what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. those are really, really important um, things to think about uh, that we might not think the act of prayer. And then also like remembering what to do, the attention, the focus, the
2: higher like level, like cognitive functions. Those are also really, really important to think about. One thing that I did think about was that um, my mom would not let us eat um, until we first go to church on a sunday and then we have like lunch or especially with christmas as well is the same we weren't allowed to um yeah to just eat until we go to church first and then you know would we could open our presents for christmas and like and 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 eat and everything but it's just um you know we kind of put god first before uh, like our adl of eating and so yeah that's yeah
0: just, uh... fasting is is really, really significant in a lot of religions, Um, you know, and I just, I think it's really important for um, practitioners to respect and understand that um, at the same time, when you're working with people um, for health reasons who may have to break those fasts identifying ways to have those conversations um, to help the person kind of work through their beliefs um, in a respectful way while maintaining their health so you know this is where like education i think is is really important we can't say well you know like this is this is what the doctor said so who cares what your beliefs are um but really being respectful and helping people understand modifications again with my mom having a stroke, you know, we we really had to focus on, um, her, her nutrition. Um, Mm -hmm. and so she had to break, um, her, um, you know, these, these were self-imposed. She chose to have days of, um, a certain dietary, um, kind of sacrifice. And so we had to talk to her about, Changing that so that she can recover. Um, so I think these are sensitive conversations, but they're really important to have, you know, especially when you're considering things like Lent and Ramadan, you know, um these are these are strict rules, um, and, and understanding what people's beliefs are. I would just add that there are
1: some gender, um, differences, um, as I previously mentioned, like women, um, they don't, uh, pray, um, during, when they're menstruating, um, they don't read the, they don't hold, physically hold the Quran when they're menstruating, um, and some people, they have different, um, level of adherence to the religion. So not everybody's going to follow everything with that. Um, I mentioned that men and women do not physically touch one another. So how do you explain that um, to an OT practitioner that might, that might be working with someone who believes that th- that you should not be touching them um, than uh, women who cover and women who don't just, I know, for example, like I've had family members who wear hijab, so they take off their hijab when they're in the hospital, but what's an alternative was like a, like a, um, like the scrub caps it was an alternative that would be given to them to cover their hair um, even giving like extra blankets or having the curtains pulled over when you're working with a patient um, asking people questions about how they dress on a daily basis that is a really good way because that's you're already going to ask that to your patient so just knowing that um, who they interact with often um, are they with family all the time and what does that look like for them if there are things that they do more outside like what are the, what does that look like you know dressing wise and uh, their schedules, prayer times. I think those are also really important and kind of asking about their day-to-day experience because that's what OTs do. They kind of build this occupational profile that we talk about and um, ask really, really important questions to think about because you may not be thinking, okay, so this the patient that I'm working with, like you mentioned, uh, Ramadan fasting, uh, if they have a medical complication, how do you explain that to them? How do you work around that? Um, maybe they have to take a medication at 2 p.m. Then is it, is it okay for them to fast until 2 p.m., until they have to take that medication? Like I've had family members at that, that who um, can't fast for medical reasons and they'll fast for a certain period of time. Sadly, they, that they get satisfaction that they were able to at least fast as long as they were able to. And also understanding that um, in, Ram- uh, in Islam, when you're um, observing Ramadan, um, pregnant women are exempt from it. Um, elderly people who are unable to exempt, if you have medical complications, children who have not hit puberty, like those are, you're kind of exempt and there are, um, and if you're not able to fast during the month of Ramadan, you are able to make it up later on. So even like knowing that could help you um, with your patients, like, oh, is this something that you can maybe make up later? Like, would you consider that or fasting for a certain period of time and then, you know, doing what you need to do to be
2: medically stable or that's um, important for your overall health? in terms of Christianity, um, going to church on Sundays, that's important. So, um, you know, is there a way um, to um, help identify transportation to and from church for a patient um, in in a particular facility or um, helping them get in and out of the car if that's not something that um, they can do? Or if they can't physically go to a church, how can you bring the church to them so um, so it, the example that I said as a Eucharist minister, I go to care homes for people who physically can't attend church to give to say a pray for, prayer for them and to give them the communion um, bread, which symbolizes um, the body of Christ. So I think it's about um, seeing how, um, looking at what they were previously doing and seeing how you can bring that to them. Um, uh, yeah, and just kind of like really understanding how the the practices of their spirituality and religion? How can you even though, even if they can't physically um, or or do it um, how they used to be able to do it? How can you um, try to um, to 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 kind of like um, uh, to have that same uh, journey for them, like similar journey that they used to have um, in their current situation? um so in prison as i mentioned uh, i had an uh a, a, i talked about the art therapy um so for example for someone who was christian they wanted to make a cross out of arts and crafts um for um i had a patient um a, in a hospital they, they were blind and they wanted to um they wanted me to read the bible for them because they couldn't see um so it's all these you know despite people having uh, impairments, or um, it shouldn't kind of stop them from uh, being able to participate in their in what's important to their religion and and their spirituality. I think we have to, as OTs, we have to really, we have to, you know, think really creatively to think about how can we um, bring that those aspects, that religion and spirituality aspects of what's important to them, um, into into their into the sense of being
0: yeah i think that was a beautiful way to put it um both um uh, metaphorically um and like physically if if they can't access religion how can you bring religion to them how you know mm. um whatever values are important to the people that you're working with how can you help them access it as fully um as as they're seeking to
2: understanding individuals and um, lifestyles and um, behaviors um so, um, for example, like, um, in my practice, um, you know, I've, I've used, um, I think it's, you, you know, when you're looking at spirituality for people, it's, it's at the core of their being. So just um, things like providing um, resources um, uh, and, um, you know, kind of looking at the supportive uh, relational networks that might be engaged as part of discharge plans. Um, Uh, you know, what's, um, you know, supportive community um, uh, reduces the sense of um, isolation or stigma that many individuals fear, um, promotion of um, positive self-perceptions. So, you know, religious practices um, that are uplifting and affirming can really support um, independence and engagement in occupation. Um, so faith can really provide um, a framework for interpreting and um, constructively coping with uh, daily stress stressors. Some patients have asked me to work around their schedule in the early morning so that their prayer time's not interrupted, um, and um, incorporating spirituality during therapy has been really motivating for them. Um, and you know, like I, I talked about worship music, you know, that's really been impactful as well in rehab for a, a patient that I've had. Um, and using um, Bible quotes um, uh, as well has been really uplifting. So I had a patient um, who uh, was completely independent before and she'd gone through um, COVID, she was in ICU and she, you know, lost a lot of her functional independence. She couldn't even do the basic, um, Sit to stand from the toilet, and using a mowbray, so with a frame around. And then I basically one day I, um, whilst during the rehab rehabilitation, I I said one of her favourite um, verses from the Bible, um, I can do all things through Christ. And I was like, right, let's go, and trying to get her to stand up from the toilet. And you won't even believe it, but she actually stood up, you know, and she couldn't do that before. But that was just so rewarding for me to see because it's like wow you know religion has a massive like impact as a motivation for people to actually be like be able to um do things that people like physically couldn't do before um, so even you know when um i remember when that patient did um like stairs uh, practice as well like getting on the steps um she uh, with the physiotherapist, we put worship music on and and then afterwards I um uh I was like, right, let's go and um walk um over to your room now. And she was using her walking stick, and I was like, right, do you want she would go and see if we can use it without the walking stick, um, like the short distance towards her bedroom, and and then she did it for the first time. Like, so we rehabbed her from Asara Steady to um walking frame to elbow crutches and then to walking stick and then when she first uh, after eight weeks of rehab when she walked without the walking stick for with the worship music music behind her for the first time in eight weeks after all that intense rehab she honestly just cried like out of sheer happiness it's like and she was just like wow I feel like Jesus walking on water right now <laughs> because you know it's just so and for me I cried as well because you know I was just I just couldn't believe it, like just that um, the sheer impact, like I said, that it could have on patients. Um, And similarly, I had another patient as well in that rehab unit, um, again, through using verses from the Bible, Um, she was previously, her baseline was um, using gutter frame um, and she had fluctuated from using a hoist to gutter frame um, before coming in. And then we rehabbed her again through using spirituality um and what was meaningful to her and uh and then she actually went above her baseline to using um to using elbow crutches um from the gutter frame and it's just you know it's like like miraculous things have happened through people um having those that religion aspect during therapy um and it's just been amazing to see and so i've used it yeah like from the acute setting to intermediate care, like inpatient re- rehabilitation, to mental health. So I've even used it in prison, um, which has been really rewarding um, through art therapy. Like um, you know, prisoners being able to express their faith um, using art, um, and you know, uh, being referred to the chaplain. Um, To encouraging them to go to church, uh, like giving them a Bible, reading the Bible with them, um, and you know, like for people who have got those physical impairments, like they want to be able to know, like the you know they they've asked me, can you teach me again how to kneel because that you know kneeling for them, like in a church, that's significant. So it's all these you know kind of working through the impairments of people, whether it's mental or physical. for them to participate in those occupations that they used to be able to do before, um, has been really significant. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is what, what you've shared. All the real life examples you've shared are really just using religion, um, or spirituality as a powerful therapeutic tool. I wanted to talk
1: about, um, some misconceptions, um, that, may be that people may have about Islam so kind of misconceptions are about hijab um you know sometimes we see that some people may consider it like it's forced upon women or that it's oppressive which is not true women um choose to wear the hijab and th- there's that yeah yes so there can be a mixture of culture where people may be forced to dress in certain ways that they don't want to um again that fine line between culture and religion that is where kind of that um Restriction of how we dress, and that's not—I don't think—I don't want to say that's just only religion. That's culture. That's society. Because even as a woman, like the way you dress, is, gets policed a lot, anyways, um, and. Another misconception is that it is a violent religion, which sometimes in the media, it is portrayed that way, which is not true. Oftentimes, verses are taken out of context and um, interpreted in negative ways. And I would say that if you are looking for something negative, you will find it because you made up your mind about it because you're looking to find like, I'm going to find this and I'm going to I'm going to be like, ha, yeah, yes, that fits my narrative of like what I'm looking for. Um, and again Islamic practices and teachings I mentioned before is in Arabic so if you don't understand Arabic you will not get the full understanding because things get lost in translation even from English to other languages like they're not in the same context some words don't even exist in the language that you're translating in so which is why it can be difficult for people to learn about Islam and its teachings
2: some therapists they continue to question whether or not Um, spirituality and religion practices falls within the scope of practice well um, I would argue that it does fall within the OT scope of practice and um, I know that um, OTs have had the they're quite hesitant to address that topic of spirituality because they they fear of crossing those um, boundaries Um, and um, and uh, despite this, this concern, in my experience, um, clients overwhelmingly uh, maintain appropriate boundaries when responding to questions on spirituality. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, like I've had clients who were motivated to read their Bible. And that same client also had a goal of increasing their tolerance for sitting on the edge of um of the bed um, and by incorporating Bible reading at the edge of the bed, the client's performance um, notably improved. uh, And, uh, you know, as I took what might have been perceived as an awkward request, I turned it into an effective therapeutic intervention. We we talk about kind of client-centeredness and holistic practice as occupational therapists. and I think we really have to kind of live by that, and actually, you know, look at um, what's important to um, a a client, and actually be able to own that, and and not be afraid to be explicit. And you know, um, I know there are those kind of um, that, unconf- that uncomfortable aspect, um, but even though I've used Christianity in um, as you know in my therapeutic use of self and practice, OT practice. Um, Whether it's Christianity or another religion, I would use the same techniques as I do. Um, So yeah, I think just, I would really encourage um, uh, occupational therapists not to be afraid to really kind of um, be curious.
0: A big piece that that we learn in OT school is being professional maintaining professionalism and so you know it there it's bi-directional so there's the part of you that you might be afraid to share um And So, you know, along the lines of professionalism, it's just important to keep in mind, like you're crossing the line where, when you're imposing your religion on somebody else, right? We definitely Mm. don't want to do that. Um, at the same time, I can say in my practice, I do utilize things like, um, mindfulness and yoga and yogic breathing and things that do actually have, uh, religious and spiritual significance. Um, but the way that I address it is I'm very clear with the people that I'm working with that this is the background, right? This is based on this Eastern philosophy or this Hindu philosophy or this Buddhist philosophy, are you comfortable um, with trying these? So I'm not masking it as something that's, um, you know, something that doesn't have the significance, but being honest of what the background and significance is to make sure that it doesn't conflict with, with their beliefs. Um, what if your beliefs go against your clients' beliefs? I, I've seen this, um, be more of an issue in my experience than the other way around. I feel like in my, my practice, people have been pretty open. Um, and because I'm open with what, you know, the modalities that I'm using, they let me know if they have any, um, concerns with it or not. Um, but I have worked with um, students and practitioners who flat out refused um, to work on things with clients because it went against um, their own uh, religious beliefs. I think
1: it really kind of depends on the situation. For me personally, um, I don't think I would I the way that I see it, I wouldn't have an issue with helping a client to reincorporate or learn about things that are meaning to meaningful to them in a religion religious concept. Like if they worship in ways that I do not, I would keep in mind that i'm not the one who is actually doing the worship it's the client um, an example is in islam we do not worship any idols or figures um, that goes against our our, our practice um, but if a client wanted to do that that's you kind of work on the skills that they need to be able to do that so if they're bending down in front of um, you know an idol or a statue or a figure um, if they need to bow if they need to put their hands in a certain position, um, if they need to be standing for long periods of time, I would consider those like the functional aspects of being able to do that worship. I know that I myself would not participate in the act of doing the worship, keeping mm-hmm. that in mind, but you can still address those specific components that they need to be able to do um, mm-hmm. while you're addressing other areas that they might need to be uh, might need to do functional things, um, such as like, if you're gonna pick something up you're going to have to reach down anyways, that's going to play into bowing. If you're going to I don't know, if um, hold something in your hand in your palms, like very um, carefully, that could go into just doing like you're doing the hand positions of prayers, like folding your hands and all the other areas. So I think you, you can make it multi purpose when you're also addressing religion in other areas, because again, it's client center, it's about the client and not you.
0: If you think that um a certain activity might go against your beliefs, really recognizing that you're not this, you're not you're not participating in this religious activity. You're helping somebody be able to re-engage um, in it. And, um, you know, if you have clear boundaries, that's fine, but you really have to communicate that with your supervisor or help mm. somebody find um find a practitioner that is willing to do things with them. I think the, the most critical things are, you know, not abandoning a client or flat out refusing to do something without conversation because I've seen that happen. And like that's just in my opinion, completely unacceptable for you know anyone listening and what they can put into practice. And
2: um, yeah, so I would say not to underestimate the, the power that um, spirituality and religion can have on, um, on our clients. And to, um, you know, we don't have to be religious or spiritual ourselves to uh, use our therapeutic use of self for our clients. We can use it regardless of whether we're religious religious. Or spiritual spiritual um, and whether um, our religion or spirituality um, whether or not it matches that of our clients I think it's really kind of tapping into what is important so um, use it to the client so really kind of remaining client- centered and taking that holistic approach and um, and not being afraid to to kind of really dig into um the 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 religion and spirituality and using your therapeutic use of self for um for the benefit of the client
1: um i just think in general learning about different cultures religion um, practices really takes time it takes patience because you also have to process it and kind of reflect on it at times if something is foreign to you Um, i just recommend that people try to actively learn instead of just um people expecting to tell you at the same time because it's great to Mm. that you have that like people telling you but also making the effort to learn about things that are foreign to you is also a good place to start and surrounding yourself with people who may not be from the same background or who may not have the same lived experiences, because your experience yeah. is also a lived experience and you can like incorporating that therapeutic goose itself also comes from your lived experiences as mm-hmm. well and just being open and respectful about
0: mm-hmm.
1: all different beliefs even if they don't align with yours because what's meaningful to you is not always going to be meaningful to someone else and it's just just how we are as individuals
0: between the US and the UK we know that there is very little diversity um in, in the OT profession and so um you know some of us have bubbles where everybody looks just like us um and there isn't um there there isn't much diversity and so i think Um, if, if that's you, then it's really important. I mean, it's really important for all of us, but especially if, if you don't really have access to people from different backgrounds from different parts of the world, um, with different religious and spiritual experiences is to truly be curious, you know, sometimes, um, it feels like it's rude or disrespectful to ask questions if you don't really know how to frame the question or you really don't know much about that person's culture and background um, because you haven't lived it, because you haven't seen it. But if you're asking in a curious and respectful way, um, mm. most people are, are open to telling you more. So if you really want to learn more about the person, then they're willing to tell you um, more about it. So it's really about how you're, um, how you're approaching it. So I wanted to thank you both so much um, for your time, sharing your experiences um, and getting into this really important conversation. Um, I wanted to ask if people wanted to reach you, um, what is the best way?
1: Uh, Thank you, Sheila, for having me. Um, It was a great conversation. Um, I have my Instagram page where I can be reached. Um, The handle is the hijabi OT. Um, so I can
2: be reached through messaging over there. Yeah, thank you, Sheila. This has been great. Um, and yeah, uh, if anyone wants to reach me, um, they can contact me via Twitter um, at Dinuli15. So that's D-I-N-U-L-I. And then one five.
0: I'm Sheila. If you want to get a hold of me, I am on Instagram at OT Bay Area and as well on Twitter. Um, And if you want to learn more about my work, my website is OTBayArea.com. If you enjoyed this content, please um, like and subscribe and do let us know if there's anything you want to learn more about. Thank you.